everyone. It's Your Natural Dog with Angela Ardolino. And my guest today is Hannah Mandelbaum. She is the CEO and the fairy godmother of Evermore Pet Food, which is a gently cooked food brand. Um, so we're going to talk about the benefits, what's the differences nutrient-wise between raw and a gently cooked diet, uh, how she got her start, why did it happen, why did she come up with a food brand. Every time I see her at a holistic event, conference. I'm always talking her ear off. She makes a wonderful food and is filled with awesome information about gently cooked diets for her dogs. I am so happy to have you on my show. I know, let's see, last time I bumped into you was at the AHVMA, the Holistic Conference. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, hanging in there, enjoying a very cold winter in upstate New York. I'm a little bit jealous of you down there in Florida. Well, today, don't be jealous. Today, it's cold. Today and last night were super cold. I think we had frost and some ice on stuff, if you can believe it. But yeah, hopefully it'll be only two days and then we'll be back to like 70s, which is perfect for us. I hope it's temporary. I know it is. Um, So we are going to talk because a lot of the people that listen to the show are already raw feeding or feeding a biologically appropriate diet. And I love having you on because you have a gently cooked uh, dog food company, which is a very good one. And those of you who listen to me all the time know that I own shops and I only choose foods that make it onto Susan Thixton's Truth About Pet Food list. And then I even take her list and I look at it and say, okay, which ones raise their animals humanely, which is very important to me. I don't eat animals. I know that my dogs need to eat animals. And so it's very important to me, not only because a happy animal is just going to be a better animal for my dog to eat, but that it's very important that they live their lives. So you are one of those companies. So thank you so much for taking the time and energy to create a food like that. And I want to talk about the differences between, let's see, we've got a gently cooked, a cooked or raw. I guess it should be raw, gently cooked and cooked different recipes. And yours is gently cooked, which is one of my favorites. I think they've also called it uh, lightly cooked. I know some people sous vide. Am I saying that right? Yeah, sous vide is actually a process and we use that process as well. Awesome. So let's explain that too. So what are the benefits? Like what's the differences between raw and gently cooked? Like I know raw feeders are going to go, oh, the moment that you apply heat, you're going to kill all the nutrients and all the good stuff out of the food, which is not true, is it? No, it's not true at all. Um, You know, I think that there's a huge continuum and there's people have these real philosophical, ideological attachments to food and the way you feed your animals. And The way I see it is that a gently cooked food, which, by the way, I think we're the first people to use that term back in 2010. I do like gentle versus light because gentle is meaning I see you doing everything with care. It's the same way we make our CBD. It's the same way anybody who does anything that they have to process something that's all natural, that we care for it very naturally, very carefully, very gently so that we don't over process it. 
Yeah, it has sort of like a tending, caretaking connotation, which I yes. like. Yeah. But I really do think we actually, back in 2010, when we were first starting and we were looking for a term, we used the tagline, which I don't know why we gave up, but it was a gently cooked, ethically sourced. Although it was, I think it was the other way around. But um, back to that that difference. So... With raw food, you know, there's a philosophy there. Your dog is a wolf. It's descended from wolves, and a biologically appropriate diet should really mimic what the wolf ate. And on the gently cooked or human-grade side of things, it's like your dog is a member of the family. Like, feed them how you would feed your family. And you know what? Both of them are right. And dogs tend to thrive on either diet. And I think it's because what they have in common more than what they what divides them, and that's that you're using fresh whole food ingredients. And I think really that's where we see the thriving happen. But that said, you know, there's differences between the two diets. And what you're going to see with a raw diet, it's going to be about 90% meat. Um, the gently cooked diets, there's more of a range. It can be between 50 and 80 you know what, raw food tends to be less expensive. If your dog's doing great on raw, you know what, go for it. You're going to be able to afford a higher quality. And the reason it's less expensive is you can use cuts of the meat that you can't, you know, take into a USDA kitchen. There can be bones in that meat. So it's just, it's more affordable and there's less processing. Cooking is a process. So if your dog thrives on raw, that's great. With the gently cooked food, where we see that really coming into play and just providing so much more benefit are dogs with digestive issues that maybe have a hard time with raw because cooking is a breaking down and that's what digestion is. So cooking sort of like pre-does some of that work for you. If you have an older dog who maybe can't handle the higher phosphorus levels, the higher protein levels of the raw, that's another place where you're going to see that gently cooked being helpful. Actually, our original spokes pup, Connor, when we started the company, he had been a raw fed dog his entire life. And he was, you know, really, really healthy. And then he got to a certain age and he just stopped processing it as well. I love that you're saying this. I've never heard anyone say this before. Really? So thank you. Never. I've been doing this podcast at least for two years. And, and you know, they used to get mad because they're like, are, are you going to call it the raw fed dog podcast? Because you talk about food all the time. Um, and you're the first person because I would... I have a rescue farm and I've watched my raw fed dogs hit senior or geriatric and all of a sudden can't tolerate raw and do better on a lightly cooked or even even a freeze dried anything but the the total raw. Yeah, it happens all the time. We actually get a lot of customers who their dogs ate raw and then suddenly they start, you know, developing less than awesome stools or turning their nose up at it. And, you know, it's just at different times, like at different times in your life, you need different things. Right. So, and, you know, up until the sort of food we make became more available, people just didn't, what are you going to take a raw fed dog and put them back on canned and kibble? That just doesn't seem very fair. Um, so, so yeah, just naturally the aging process could be one issue. Super picky dogs that a cooked food is a little bit more aromatic. So sometimes that can entice a dog to eat. So back to the aging question, it is slightly lower phosphorus, so dogs with the beginning renal issues, it's also a good time to use that food, or any time when a dog is really immune compromised. A lot of times, like dogs in cancer treatment, those are times when really a gently cooked food might be more beneficial. And this is a weird one, which actually we hadn't gotten or learned about until recently, houses where the humans are immunocompromised. 
and awesome. can't have raw meat in the house. I hadn't even thought of that aspect of things until we got some emails about it. And then the, address the concern of nutrient difference, which, of course, I Susan Thixton, who does The Truth About Pet Food, has an awesome article about it where she literally shows you that a raw piece of chicken versus a gently cooked piece of chicken has the same nutrients. And like you said before, what's more important is where did that chicken come from? What was that chicken fed? How was that chicken raised? And that's more important. That's where you're going to see huge nutrient differences, not between cooking and not cooking, right? Yeah. That, and also don't forget cooking temperature is a big part of it as well. There's a difference between a light cooking process, which we heat our chicken to 165 degrees. Versus kibble where they're... A 400 degree. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's... Thank a, you for mentioning that. That's a huge difference. But yeah. So in a sous vide cooking process, like what we do... Uh, okay. So explain what a sous vide is. I know a lot of people know, may have heard this before, especially on the human side of things, but explain what sous vide is. Sure. Sous vide is just French for under vacuum. And what happens in this process is the food is put into a vacuum sealed pouch. Um, they are plastic, which is not our favorite thing about the food. Um, and we cannot wait until there's another material that's more sustainable that takes its place. Just... For reference for your audience, the plastic that we use is free from BPA phthalates and other plasticizers known to cause estrogenic activity and has to conform to very strict California standards. And we've independently tested it to confirm. Um, Just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, But anyway, the food is put in a vacuum sealed pouch. And then in a home or restaurant application, it would actually be put in a bath of hot, like warm water to heat up to temperature. And you can even do it at super low temperatures, like 125 degrees. It's just pasteurization, which is, you know, killing pathogens. It's about time and temperature. So you can do it at a lower temperature for longer or a higher temperature for shorter. We work in a USDA kitchen. And on a commercial level, when you do sous vide, it's actually steamed. It's not put in these water baths. Uh, so that's oh, how good. that's how we do it. And uh, the kitchen checks and probes to make sure it hits the right temperature. Um, but like I said, ours hits 165. So for cooking a piece of beef at 165 versus 400 does just that. Removes anything that's dangerous, kind of helps pre-digest the food a little bit, making it easier on an older pup's gut? Uh, correct. And one thing that I also want to add is one of the concerns that people have with cooking at high temperatures is it also, there's this reaction called the Maillard reaction, which makes meat delicious. You know, it's what's responsible for browning the meat. I know I'm saying this to a vegetarian, but um, <laughs> but it also creates more of like a, car- you know, it creates these carcinogens. So yeah. when you use a lower temperature process, that doesn't happen. Awesome. It's kind of just like when you're vaping cannabis, (laughs) is that you want to find that ideal temperature so that you don't create a carcinogenic effect and inhale smoke, and that you're just heating up the cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids and all the compounds so that they become medicinal and don't become dangerous. So it's kind of the same type of thing. Gently smoking cannabis. Versus, I like that. <laughs> yeah, instead of burning it with fire, which, you know, I did in the beginning and now I don't. I'm too old for that now. So now I do it safely and medically. I can relate. I love that. I love that um, how you explained that to us. So you were talking about your own dog 
and how they all of a sudden got older and couldn't handle it. So what did you see? What changes did you see once you started feeding him a gently cooked diet? Well, it's actually my business partner's dog, Connor, um, who Uh, lived to 17 and a half, by the way. Awesome. What kind of dog? He was a wonder mutt. We think shepherd lab mix. Um, Cool. Cool guy. He was about 70 pounds. But a big dog. Big guy. Yeah. He was carrying a little bit of weight around the middle, uh, despite being fed wonderful raw food. He trimmed down, he had more energy, and his stools firmed up. So these are all, you know, the and I mean, I can't even begin to talk about his coat. I had hair envy. (laughs) um, Awesome. These were the very early things that happened. And honestly, he maintained that for the rest of his life. Awesome. I think that once you've made the commitment to go raw, or to a fresh diet that you think you're done. Um, And I remember the first stumble being, you know, that some dogs can't tolerate certain proteins. And then it comes to this where some can't tolerate the raw all of a sudden as they get older in age. I know a lot of people don't do raw because they don't want to do raw. So is this the answer to those people? Do they have to go through the same process? Let's say they are on a, a kibble diet and that they transition, do they have to go through the same process that they would with a raw diet? In terms of the transitioning process? Mm-hmm. You know what? I think every dog is different. Some dogs have cast iron stomachs and you can do it pretty quickly. Uh, but we always recommend doing a small amount, doing a transition and just observing your dog's tools along the way. If your dog seems like they're handling it well, fine, accelerate it. If you know, if you need to take it slower, take it slower. But it is kind of the same idea with transitioning. Very cool. How hard is it to get on to Susan's list? Oh, man. (laughs) Because you're on it every year. Since 2014. And, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. So she also does denaturing. I know what HPP is and bacteriophages. What the hell are those? Those are actually, those are only used in raw food. And um, they've become pretty problematic. It's basically microbes that eat other microbes um so it's these you know specially synthesized microbes to eat the bacteria but like what we're finding is that can create superbugs basically it seems like anything we do to target bacteria just makes smarter meaner bacteria so like fleas yeah exactly so that's basically (laughs) what that is So it's just like HPP. Both of those are other processes that they're doing to raw food that why would you do that? Because you're killing killing the the whole purpose. Yeah, the whole reason that we're feeding the raw diet is to get those good bacteria and these would kill it. These processes would kill it. I think it's to kill the bad bacteria. I really don't know. I'm I'm not in the food science of raw piece of things. I know it's designed to kill, you know, the listeria, the salmonella. I don't know if it's sort of, I don't know if it's using a scalpel or sledgehammer though. So I'm not. Got it. Yeah. But the good thing is, is that yours doesn't have any of that in it. None of that. None of that. We just, you know, the only thing that's killing the pathogens is, well, first of all, everything that comes into our kitchen, it's a USDA kitchen. It's pre-tested anyway. But, you know, the pasteurization does kill pathogens, and heat is the only thing that we use to do that. Very cool. All right, we're going to go take a short break, and we come back, we'll talk more with Hana about food gently cooked. If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer, research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. 
Enter coupon code RADIO at cbddoghealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health. Healing naturally. And we're back with Hannah from Evermore Pet Food, and we're talking about what an amazing company you are. You're a little baby company, and just like we are, just like CBD Dog Health is, and you take the time to do things right, and thank you very much for doing that. Because it does take time, but you get a better product all the way around. Um, So thank you for doing that. There's a lot of talk about People, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I know a lot of people are worried about the impact that farming has on our environment and our land, our animals, our air. But you're even addressing that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and we're seeing this proliferation of vegetarian dog foods, of vegan dog foods. And I think there's reasons why people are doing that, both of humane concerns and the environment being a huge one. And everyone's heart is in the right place with that. But I truly believe in species-appropriate diets, which means meat. I do too. And unfortunately, the discussion around meat is really, really binary. Meat is either always bad for the environment or, you know, people love their hamburgers and aren't going to give them up. And no, factory farming is bad for the environment. Exactly, factory farming. It's not only bad for the environment, it's bad for everybody who consumes the food made in the factory farm. So don't Every know why... Every piece of it, the egg, the meat, everything. So everyone, we should stay away from that and we should be doing it. And this is a dog food company that's doing it right. So certainly we could be doing it right for human food. Oh, yeah. And um, and there are ways that we can make huge strides in that direction. So we started back in uh, in 2009 and we've always used really high quality proteins, um, but we're striving to do better and better and better. And we moved to grass fed as of years ago. But now there's this movement in agriculture, um, regenerative agriculture. And what that is, this is really cool. So basically, the idea is in the ecological niche of the world of the grasslands, there used to be large herbivores roaming, you know, think the buffalo on the American plains. There were right. millions and millions of those that we all killed, which is terrible. But the idea is with livestock, having them mimic the patterns of what these large ruminants would be doing. So moving the cows around the pastures, so they're mimicking what should be happening in nature. And what this does is it not only doesn't tax the land, but it helps regenerate it. It creates carbon sinks. So not only is it not adding carbon to the environment, it's actually helping trap that. And there are these really interesting studies from around the world where using agriculture in this fashion, raising cows in this fashion is reversing desertification. Awesome. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And... There's sort of a new certification program for, you know, for producers that two of our vendors, our beef vendor and our lamb vendors are part of it. And that's through the Savory Institute. Cool. The Savory Institute is named after and involved with Alan Savory, who is one of the founders of this movement. And he has a really cool TED Talk where he actually talks about discovering these patterns that happen and how we can use and harness like our own raising of livestock to help undo some of the damage that we've done to the planet. 
And I think I've seen it, that, you know, they move them from different pastures and then move the chickens in, which break up the poop or whatever. And then someone else comes in after that. And well, actually, what you're describing is biodynamic farming. Um, <laughs> so what's the difference? It, it's, you know, they're related concepts. Just making sure they don't destroy the land that they're feeding off of? Exactly. I mean, with biodynamic, it's working with like a whole system. Um, And they're very related. And that's a regenerative process as well. Because that's how all of our herbs that are in like our lavender that's in our calm tincture comes from a biodynamic farm in Sebastopol, California, which I love going to visit there. It's so fun. It's really beautiful (laughs) out there. Yeah, it sounds a lot the same. You're basically not destroying the land and you should see what she can accomplish on 10 acres of land in the mountains even because she is using this process our our lavender farmer um sophie so i get that and it's totally important and like you said before it's not it's not the process the cooking process it's where that animal how that animal is being raised what it's being fed it's not getting antibiotics or hormones or all the other nasty stuff they put in factory farming and on our animals. Actually, do you want to hear? I've got some really cool, interesting things that have happened along that front. Yeah. So originally we were using a really amazing beef producer, actually Nyman Ranch beef, um, before they had a grass-fed product. So basically these were really well-treated cows, uh, but still at the end of their lives, they were fed grain. They were still pastured, but they were fattened up, you know, because a lot of the American consumers actually don't like fully grass-fed because it's a leaner meat. But at a certain point, we switched to a fully grass-fed producer. And you hear all these statistics about how grass-fed meat is like leaner and it's, you know, higher in omega-3s. And we do a lot of lab testing. And this is true. Our fat content went down, which that wasn't really the most That is so crazy. The most awesome part. I know. I saw that in, in Susan's thing. Yeah, she shows a little chart and says factory farm fed beef contains six times the fat as grass fed beef. It's crazy. And it's really amazing just seeing it happen in real time. And like I said, the omega-3 fatty acids, seeing those numbers go up moving to grass fed, that was really cool. And then when we moved, um, when we moved, we'd always use. So then you must have been like, okay, let's see what everyone's supposed to eat and do that. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, if you can see these changes in your dogs, obviously it happens in yourself. Right. But also with our chicken, we used to have to supplement, we have eggs in all of our formulas, and we used to have to supplement in our poultry formula for choline. And when we went from our certified humane cage-free eggs to our pastured eggs, what happened was our choline levels went up to the point where we we didn't have to supplement anymore. So it's important to know what all the differences of these terms we see on our food, you know, what it what it means, pasture fed versus cage free kind of thing, because it matters what that animal is eating. It makes it a healthy animal for us or our animals to eat. Exactly. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing about the certifications. A lot of them don't mean what you think they mean. A lot of these terms you think that they mean something, but they're actually, those standards aren't as high as you think they were just because there's like a stamp on a box doesn't necessarily. I love that you're saying that because it's so true in the supplement world because anybody can create a certification process and sell you a seal to stamp on it. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Make sure you know what it means, you know, because nine times out of 10, it's just a marketing ploy to get you to think that it's organic or think that it's promising to be safe for some reason. 
but it doesn't mean that it is. So make sure that what you're looking at is an actual something that is doing some sort of process. To me, to make sure that it's safe and that it actually has nutritional value is important to me. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, you know, some of these certifications are great, but on the flip side of that, there are some great producers that are smaller producers that are not going to have those certifications. They're expensive to maintain. And for some farmers and ranchers, you know, they have enough paperwork and government stuff that they need to comply with. Uh, They don't necessarily want to have to deal with more paperwork and more fees. So it really is about getting to know your individual suppliers, I mean, if you're buying something, you know, on a personal level, not just, you know, for your food, if you're buying anything for yourself, you know, learn about the practices. If you're going to the farmer's market, talk to the farmer. You can learn a lot just by just by talking and just by listening and just by asking. And you pretty much can find a farmer that's doing exactly what you want somewhere. Exactly. Without necessarily having the stamp on the box. So Right. Exactly. I love that. Well, yeah, I hate the stamps on the boxes, <laughs> uh, especially in my industry. It drives me crazy. All the marketing terms and shit they put on there. And you're like, oh, God, making it more confusing. So I'm glad that you said that. And the other argument people always have is that raw or gently cooked or freeze dried is so expensive, which is one of the things I love about Susan's list is did you see what she did this year? She broke down the cost so that she made my job so much easier. So when someone says, but it's so expensive, I can go, no, it's not. This is how much it costs to feed your dog every day. And this is how much it costs to feed Imes, which I can't find a little chart now, but she breaks (laughs) it down on how much it costs per day. And yours, which I thought was awesome, eight fifty to ten fifty for cost per day for a thirty pound dog. Yeah, not cheap, but that's okay. Um, so gently cooked is so much easier to transition into. But what other tips can you give um, our listener on how to transition? Um, well, first of all, yeah, I'd say start with gently cooked over raw, just because it is that much more aromatic. Start slowly. And it can also help to put something else that the dog likes in the food. Some liver crumbles can be really helpful. Something something fishy, just anything that your dog is nuts over, put it into the food. Um, just mix in a little bit, sprinkle it over the top, whatever can really get to entice your dog. The other thing that can help for some dogs is warming it up a little bit. Obviously with raw, that would be frowned upon. Uh, Yes, don't ever heat up or um, warm up raw food. Raw food has raw bones in it. So you Yeah, I'm talking about gently cooked here. Right. So we're only talking about gently cooked. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times people who are are feeding raw contact us and tell us that they're cooking their raw food. It's like, no, 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 don't do that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean the biggest the biggest thing you can do is just try to make it tastier by adding a little bit something on it. Um, would be really my number one tip. Some and also just try a lot of different things. You know, your dog might not like the protein that you're that you're going for. So it's really the thing I tell people to do about food when they're trying to figure out what works and they ask raw cooked. You know, what should I do? And I like to say, do your own research. And be, by do your own research, I don't mean like watch YouTube videos or read people's blogs. I mean do your own research by giving your dog different things and seeing what works. Love it. I love it. And I'm telling you from having so many dogs and watching them age that my little babies, the little dogs, all have to be switched to a gently cooked 
um, when they become geriatric. And Odie now, who's 15, miniature schnauzer, loves to have different proteins. He's grown accustomed to it. Now, I only feed him cool proteins, but still, that could be turkey, pork, rabbit, duck, and he loves them all. And even sometimes, he wants the raw. And so, when I give him the raw, a little bit of the raw mixed with the gently cooked, I'll put some digestive enzymes in it to help him kind of tolerate that. But yeah, most likely if you've got a little dog that's maybe having issues all of a sudden, again, you just might have to change their diet and it will all get better again. And do your own research. Like you just said, figure it out. Keep giving them something until they go, okay, this is what works for them. This is the thing. And you actually just mentioned something um, that I want to touch back on. And you said you mix the raw and the cooked, which there has been this myth going for years and years and years, and I don't even know where it came from, but that there's this energetic problem with mixing raw food. Oh with gosh, I'm making a mistake. That it it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Believe me, there's nothing wrong with it. You can mix raw food and cooked food. There's no reason not to. Good. Yes. I like one of the things I'll do is take a dehydrated and sprinkle it on top of a raw meal just to again make sure I'm getting all the smells going and making them happy about it. Oh, funny. Great. I'll have to look up that one next. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just been, it's it's something that for some reason people have believed for a really long time and I don't even know where it came from. Yeah, there's probably something behind it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find more information and follow um, your site, your uh, dog food and your wonderful advice? I know you've got a wonderful site with all kinds of information. Yeah, sure. So our website is evermorepetfood.com. Um, I hope I don't have to spell that. Um, once again, evermorepetfood.com. And then you can find us on socials. Uh, our Instagram account is at evermorepetfood. And our Facebook page is guess at Evermore Pet Evermore Food. Pet Food? <laughs> yeah. So that's where you can find us. We have a Twitter, but we don't really use it. But also you can guess what that is too. Awesome. Uh, well, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing everything that you know about gently cooked diets. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening. Make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, and share with your friends. And if you want your questions answered live, make sure to call in to 252-377-4555. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and at AngelaArtolino.com. And remember, you can always sign up for a full holistic consultation at CBDDogHealth.com slash consultations. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri, made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in MycoDog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. MycoDog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder, breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at mycodog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi.